0: CHAPTER FOUR OF THE POSTMASTER'S DAUGHTER BY Louis TRACY. THIS LIVIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. A CABAL Grant stared again at the card. A tiny silver bell seemed to tinkle a sort of warning in a recess of his brain. The name was not engraved in copper plate, but printed in heavy type. Somehow it looked ominous his first impression was to bid Minnie send the man away he distrusted any first impression it was the excuse of mediocrity a sign of weakness moreover why shouldn't he meet isidore g ingerman show him in he said almost gruffly thus silencing shy intuition as it were he threw the card on the table mr ingerman entered he did not offer any conventional greeting but nodded or bowed. Grant could not be sure which form of salutation was intended, because the visitor promptly sat down uninvited. Minnie hesitated at the door. Her master's callers were usually cheerful bohemians who chatted at sight. Then she caught Grant's eye and went out, banging the door in sheer nervousness. Still Mr. Ingerman did not speak. If this was a pose on his part, he erred grant had passed through a trying day but he owned the muscles and nerves of an alpine climber and had often stared calmly down a wall of rock and ice which he had just conquered when the least slip would have meant being dashed to pieces two thousand feet below there was some advantage too in this species of stage weight it enabled him to take the measure of Adeline Melhuish's husband, if indeed the visitor was really the man he professed to be. At first sight Isidore G. Ingerman was not a prepossessing person. Indeed it would be safe to assume that if by some trick of fortune he and not Grant were the tenant of the Hollies, P. C. Robinson would have hauled him to the village lockup that very morning. It was not that he was villainous-looking, but rather that he looked capable of villainy he was a tall slender rather stooping man with a decidedly well molded if hawk-like face his aspect might be described as saturnine. possibly when he smiled his remorse expression would vanish and then he might even win a favorable opinion he had brilliant black eyes close set and an abundant crop of black hair turning gray which in itself lent an air of distinction his lips were thin his chin slightly predominant he was well dressed and managed a hat stick and gloves with ease altogether he reminded grant of a certain notable actor who is invariably cast for the role of a gentlemanly scoundrel but who in private life is a most excellent fellow and good citizen oddly enough grant recognized in him too the type of man who would certainly have appealed to adeline melhush in her earlier and impressionable years meanwhile the visitor finding the clear-eyed young man seated in an easy-chair from which he had not risen could seemingly regard him with blank indifference during the next hour thought fit to say something is my name familiar to you mr grant he inquired the voice was astonishingly soft and pleasant and the accent agreeably refined evidently there were surprising points about mr ingerman long afterwards grant learned by chance that the man had been an actor before branching off into that mysterious cosmopolitan profession known as a financier no said grant i have heard it very few times once about three years ago, and today when I mentioned it to the police. The other man's sallow cheeks grew a shade more sallow. Grant supposed that this slight change of color indicated annoyance. Of course, the association of ideas in that curt answer was intolerably rude, but Grant had been tried beyond endurance that day. He was in a mood to be brusky with an archbishop." we can disregard your confidences or explanations to the police said ingerman smoothly three years ago i suppose my wife spoke of me if you mean miss adeline melhush yes i do mean her to be exact i mean the lady who was murdered outside this house last night Grant realized instantly that Isidore G. Ingerman was a foeman worthy of even a novelist's skill in repartee. Thus far he, Grant, had been merely uncivil, using a bludgeon for wit, whereas the visitor was making play with a finely-tempered repartee. "'Now that you have established your identity, Mr. Ingerman, perhaps you can tell me why you are here,' he said." "'I have come to stray home to inquire into my wife's death. "'A most laudable purpose. "'I was given to understand, however, "'that at one time you took little interest in her living. "'I have not seen Mrs. Ingerman for three years, "'until last night, that is. "'So there is a chance, of course, "'that husband and wife may have adjusted their differences. "'Is that so?' "'Until last night,' repeated Ingerman almost in a startled tone you admit that grant turned and pointed i saw or fancied i saw her face at that window he said she looked in on me about ten minutes to eleven i was hard at work but the vision as it seemed then was so weird and unexpected that i went straight out and searched for her perhaps searched is not quite the right word to be exact i opened the french window stood there and listened then i persuaded myself that i was imagining a vain thing and came in what was she doing here i don't know she arrived in strain on sunday evening i am told i heard that too you imply that you did not meet her no need to imply anything mr ingerman i did not meet her beyond the fanciful notion that i had seen her ghost last night the first i knew of her presence in the village was when i recognized her dead body this morning strange as it may sound i am inclined to believe you grant said nothing he wanted to get up and pitch ingerman into the road but who else will take that charitable view purred the other in that suave voice "'which so ill-accorded with his thin lips and slightly hooked nose. "'I really don't care,' was the weary answer. "'Not at the moment, perhaps. "'You have had a trying day, no doubt. "'My visit at its close cannot be helpful, but—' "'I am feeling rather tired mentally,' interrupted Grant, "'so you will oblige me by not raising too many points at once.' WHY SHOULD YOU IMAGINE THAT CONVERSATION WITH YOU IN PARTICULAR SHOULD ADD TO MY SUPPOSED DISTRESS? DOESN'T IT? NO. WHY, THEN, MAY I ASK, DO YOU SO OBVIOUSLY RESENT MY QUESTIONS? WHO HAS SO MUCH RIGHT TO PUT THEM AS I? GRANT FOUND THAT HE MUST BESTIR HIMSELF. THUS FAR THE HONORS LAY WITH HIS RATHER SINISTER-LOOKING YET quiet mannered VISITOR i am sorry if anything i have said lends color to that belief he answered candidly i begin by assuming that you forfeited any legal right years ago to interfere in behalf of miss melhuish living or dead let us at least be candid with each other miss melhuish herself told me that you and she had separated by mutual consent allow me to enumerate your candor the actual fact is that you weaned my wife's affections from me." "'That is a downright lie,' said Grant coolly. Ingerman's peculiar temperament permitted him to treat this grave insult far more lightly than Grant's harmless, if irritating, reference to the police. "'Let us see just what a lie signifies,' he said almost judicially. If a lady deserts her husband—' and there is good reason to suspect that she is in popular phrase carrying on with another man how can the husband be lying if he charges that man with being the cause of the domestic upheaval in this instance a hypothetical case is not called for three years ago mr ingerman you had parted from your wife your name was never mentioned apparently none in my circle had ever heard of you "'Miss Melhush had won repute as a celebrated actress. I met her, in a sense, professionally. We became friends. I fancied I was in love with her. I proposed marriage. Then, and not until then, did the ghost of Mr.' Grant bent forward and consulted the card. Mr. Isidore G. Ingerman intrude. So marriage was out of the question. "'If you expect an answer,' yes ingerman rested the handle of his stick against his lips that isn't how the situation was represented to me at the time he said thoughtfully grant was still sore with the recollection of the way in which the superintendent of police had forced him to confess the pitiful scheme whereby a woman in love had sought to gain her ends he refused to sully her memory a second time that day even to gain the upper hand in this troublesome controversy i neither know nor care what representations have been made to you he retorted i merely tell you the literal truth possibly possibly it was not i who used the word lie remember but if you are ungracious enough to refuse to withdraw the offensive phrase let it pass we are not in france THIS DEADLY BUSINESS WILL BE FOUGHT OUT IN THE LAW COURTS. I AM HERE TONIGHT OF MY OWN INITIATIVE. I THOUGHT IT ONLY FAIR AND REASONABLE THAT YOU AND I SHOULD MEET BEFORE WE ARE BROUGHT FACE-TO-FACE AT A CORONER'S INQUEST. AND IT MAY BE IN AN ASSIZE COURT. NO, NO, MR. GRANT, PRAY DO NOT PUT THE worst CONSTRUCTION ON MY WORDS. SOMEONE MURDERED MY WIFE if the police show intelligence and reasonable skill, someone will be tried for the crime. You and I will certainly be witnesses. That is what I meant to convey. The doubt in my mind was this, whether to be actively hostile or passively friendly to the man who next to me was interested in the poor woman now lying dead in a wretched stable of this village." the almost diabolical cleverness of this long speech delivered without heat and with singularly adroit stress on various passages was revealed by its effect on grant he was at once infuriated and puzzled ingerman was playing him as a fisherman humours a well-hooked salmon the simile actually occurred to him and he resolved to precipitate matters by coming straightway to the landing net is your friendship purchasable he inquired making the rush without further preamble my wife was i was led to believe came the calm retort grant threw scruples to the wind now adeline melhoche was being deframed not by him but by her husband we are at cross purposes he said weighing each word your wife who knew your character fairly well i am convinced thought that you were open to receive a cash consideration for your connivance in a divorce she had told me plainly that she would never live with me again i was too fair-minded a man to place obstacles in the way when she wished to regain her freedom so it was true then what was the price one thousand two i am not a millionaire nor am i As a mere matter of pounds, shillings, and pence, it was a serious matter for me when my wife's earnings ceased to come into common stock. My first, if rather vague, estimate of you was the correct one. You are a good bit of a scoundrel, and, if I guess rightly, a would-be blackmailer. "'You are talking at random, Mr. Grant.' The levying of blackmail connotes that the person bled desires that some discreditable or dangerous fact should be concealed. Such is not my position. I—I I wonder. I can relieve you of any oppressive doubt. I informed the police some few hours ago that you have appeared already in a similar role. Oh, you did, did you? snarled Ingerman suddenly abandoning his pose and gazing at grant with a curiously snake-like glint in his black eyes yes it interests them i fancied grant was sure of his man now and rather relieved that the battle of wits was turning in his favor so you have begun already to scheme your defense hadn't you better go was the contemptuous retort you refuse to answer any further questions i refuse to buy your proffered friendship whatever that may mean have i offered to sell it i gathered as much ingerman rose he was still master of himself though his lanky body was taut with rage he spoke calmly and with remarkable restraint go through what i have said and discover if you can the slightest hint of any suggested condemnation of your offences whether avowed or merely suspected i shall prove beyond dispute that you came between me and my wife don't hug the delusion that your three years limit will save you it will not i wish you well of your attempt to prove that i was a consenting party to divorce proceedings i came here to look you over i have done so and have arrived at a very definite opinion i also have been interviewed by the police and any unfavorable views they may have formed concerning me as the outcome of your ex parte statements are more than counteracted by the ugly facts of a ghastly murder you were here shortly before eleven o'clock last night my wife was here too and alive this morning she was found dead by you at eleven o'clock last night I was playing bridge with three men in my flat. When the news of the murder reached me to-day my first thought, after the shock of it had passed, was, that fellow Grant may be innocently involved in a terrible crime, and I may figure as the chief witness against him. I am not speaking idly, as you will learn to your cost. Yet when I come on an errand of mercy, you have the impotence to charge me with blackmail you are in for a great awakening be sure of that and isidore g ingerman walked out leaving grant uncomfortably aware that he had not seen the last of the implacable and bitter enemy it was something new and very disturbing for a writer to find himself in the predicament of a man with an absolutely clear conscience yet perilously near the meshes of the criminal law he had often analyzed such a situation in his books but fiction diverged so radically from hard fact that the sensation was profoundly disconcerting, to say the least he did not go to the post office he was not equal to any more verbal fireworks that evening so he lit a pipe and reviewed ingerman's well-rounded periods very carefully even taking the precaution to jot down exact phrases he analyzed them and saw that they were capable of two readings of course it could not be otherwise the plausible rascal must have conned them over until his essential was secured grant even went so far as to give them a grudging professional tribute they held a canker of doubt too which it was difficult to dissect. Their veiled threats were perplexing, while their effect, as apart from literal significance, was fresh in his mind, he made a few notes of different interpretations. He went to bed rather early, but could not sleep until the small hours. Probably his rest, such as it was, would have been even more disturbed had he been able to accompany Ingerman to the hare and hound's end a small but select company had gathered in the bar parlor the two hours between eight and ten were the most important of the day to the landlord mr tomlin it was then that he imparted and received the tidbits of local gossip garnered earlier the process involving a good deal of play with shining beer handles and attractively labeled bottles but this was a special occasion Never before had there been a stray murder before the symposium. Hitherto such a gruesome topic was supplied, for the most part, by far-away London. Tonight the eeriness and dramatic intensity of a notable crime lay at the very doors of the village. So Tomlin was more portentous than usual, Hobbes the butcher more assertive, elkin the sporty breeder of polo ponies more inclined to lay odds on any conceivable subject and siddle the chemist a reserved man at the best even less disposed to voice a definite opinion elkin was about twenty-five years of age siddle looked younger than his probable thirty-five years while the others were on the stout and prosperous line of fifty they were discussing the murder of course when ingerman entered and ordered a whiskey and soda instantly there was a dead silence looks and furtive winks were exchanged there had been talk of a detective being employed perhaps this was he mr tomlin knew the stranger's name as he had taken a room but that was the extent of the available information a fine evening, sir, said Tomlin, drawing a cork noisily. Looks as though we are in for a spell of settled weather. Yes, agreed Ingerman, summing up the concave at a glance. Somehow such a lovely night ill accords with the cause of my visit to Strayenholm. Indeed, sir? Well, you and these other gentlemen may judge for yourselves. It will be no secret to-morrow— i am the husband of the lady who was found in the river outside grant's residence this morning sensation as the descriptive reporters put it mr tomlin was dumbly but unanimously elected chairman of the meeting and was vaguely aware of his responsibilities he drew himself a fresh glass of bitter you don't tell me sir he gasped well the idea THE POOR LADY'S LETTERS WAS ADDRESSED TO MISS ADELINE MELHUSH. PERHAPS YOU DON'T KNOW, SIR, THAT SHE STAYED HERE. OH, YES, I WAS TOLD THAT BY THE LOCAL POLICE CONSTABLE. HAVE I, BY ANY CHANCE, BEEN GIVEN HER ROOM? NO, SIR, NOT LIKELY. IT'S LOCKED, AND THE POLICE HAVE THE KEY TILL THE INQUEST IS DONE WITH. AS FOR THE NAME, EXPLAINED INGERMAN, IN HIS SUAVE VOICE, that was a mere stage pseudonym an adopted name my wife was a famous actress and there is a sort of tactic agreement that a lady in the theatrical profession shall be known to the public as miss rather than Mrs. well there wheezed tomlin who'd ever had thought it the landlord was not quite rising to the occasion he was in fact stunned by these repeated shocks so hobbs took charge it's a sad errand your own, sir he said death comes to all of us man and beast alike but it is a terrible thing when a lady like miss uh mrs ingerman is my name but my wife will surely be alluded to by the press as miss melhush when a lady like miss melhush is knocked on the head like a hobbs hesitated again he also felt that the situation was rather beyond him but my wife was flung into the river and drowned said ingerman sadly no sir she was killed first it was a brutal business so i'm told do you mean she was struck her skull battered came the demand in an awed and soul-thrilling whisper yes sir and the worst thing is none of us can guess who could have done it lay your five quid to one hobbs that the police cop the scoundrel afore this day fortnight cried elkin noisily then mr siddle put in a mild word gentlemen he said let me remind you that we four will probably be jurors at the inquest that was a sobering thought elkin subsided and hobbs looked critically at the remains of a gill of beer ingerman took stock of the chemist he might easily induce the others to believe that grant was the real criminal but the quiet man in the black morning coat and striped cloth trousers was of finer metal he knew instantly that if he could persuade this one probable juror of grant's guilt the remainder would follow his lead like a flock of sheep but there was no need to hurry. Next day's inquest would be a mere formality. The real struggle would begin a week or a fortnight later. You have said a very wise thing, sir, he murmured appreciatively. Even my feelings must be kept under better control. But this is no ordinary murder. Before it is cleared up there will be astounding revelations. Mark the word, astounding hobbs whose heavy cheeks were of a brick-red tint almost startled the concave by a sudden outburst which gave him an apoplectic appearance you're too kind-hearted siddle he cried what's the use of talking rubbish we all know where the body was found we all know that doris morton and mr grant were a sweetheartin in the garden look here hobbs just keep doris morton's name out of it shouted Elkin smiting the table with his fist till the glasses danced. "'Gentlemen!' protested Seidel gently. "'It's all dashed fine, but I'm not—' blustered Elkin. He yielded to Ingerman's outstretched hand. "'I seem to have brought discord into a friendly gathering,' came the mournful comment. "'Such was far from being my intent. "'Landlord, the round is on me—with cigars.' now let us talk of anything but this horror if i forget myself again pull me up short and find me another round siddle half rose but thought better of it evidently he meant to use his influence to stop foolish chatter chapter four